Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Broken Banquet, a podcast about missions. We are your hosts, Will Bailey and Dr. Ashley Goad, and we are so glad that you have joined us for another conversation about the church and missions, about what healthy mission relationships can look like, and as we hear from others who have dedicated their lives in one way or another to mission work. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Will. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. I always, I don't know why I get cracked up every time we do that. I mean, we sit, we start out the same way every time, and every time it just makes me laugh. But I guess that's good. <laughs> you know, season two, we're going to mix it up. Season two, we'll have a new intro. We're going to mix it up. Okay. Does that mean I have work to do? No, 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 no. I think I think we'll no. just mix up our uh, beginning. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll do something new. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, how are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, you know, the Hutchisons were here, and last Sunday's worship was so good. Nate Hutchison, his wife Whitney, two of our prominent members of this podcast, they uh, they were here in Shreveport and led our worship service, and it was just so good, so rich and so good. It was great to have them here, and I was supposed to go with them to Waco, but because they wanted to make a pilgrimage to Waco to see all the magnolia things, and mm-hmm. uh, I was supposed to go with them, but you know this whole business of church work, yeah, I just don't get it. Like, like, why do I need to be here in my office? I don't know. Well, if all you do is work for an hour on Sundays, I mean, why do you need to be in office? That's a good point. That's a really good point. Well, it must have been pretty special for the church to have missionaries from all the way from literally the other side of the planet who they hear about and read letters from and see pictures of all over the church to actually have them physically in your church building and leading and participating in worship. It really was. It was so rich because I we were thinking back and the last time the Hutchisons came through town, Nate's been through twice and he's only, the first time he was through, it was like two hours. And the next time he came through, I uh, was with the whole family and I think they were here for 24 hours. And uh, so this was really nice to have them here for several days and just to be with them, we had a crawfish boil with one of the big Sunday school classes. We had our Holy Land group got together and uh, we spent the day out at the lake and it was so awesome. It, everything about it was just so great to renew those relationships and friendships. So it was just fantastic. That's great. That's great. I know when we were messaging back and forth because we were going to try and, and, and talk and we weren't able to. And the reason we weren't able to was because Nate was running errands. And I think that's fantastic that part <laughs> of what they needed to do and what you were able to help with was facilitate just the running of errands. I mean, think about, you know, all the, the little minute things that need to be done when missionaries are back in the States for a brief period of time. And I, I mean, I know what that feels like. And so I can totally imagine Nate with a list and, and crossing things off of his list of these places that he needed to get to things that maybe it's hard for them to get that they needed to get people Mm -hmm. that maybe he needed to see and didn't have a whole lot of time. And, and the fact that you were able to, you know, 
their visit with you didn't mean you had tons of stuff that you needed for them to do while they were there, but that you just wanted to make sure they had time to do the things that they needed to do while they mm-hmm. were there. Of course, I'm, I'm imagining all of that. It might not have been anything like it, but that's just, that's immediately what popped into my mind when you were like, Hey, we're not going to be able to get together with Nate because he's out running errands. And I thought, well, that's fine. I mean, that's probably the most important thing that he needs to be doing right now is running those errands. So I think you're exactly right. I have learned something in these nine, 10 years almost of doing this is I used to try to plan every second of every day of every trip that y'all would come into Shreveport so that you could see people. And and, and I guess in the, in, in the beginning, that was really important too, because it was a new relationship. I needed you to be in front of as many people as possible. Maybe so. But what I have learned over time is that these trips are just as restorative for you all as they are important for us. And so they came in and uh, were off of a 13-hour flight and a 17-hour time difference. And so I really didn't see them for the first two days they were here because bless their hearts, they were jet lagged and they were sleeping. And I needed to give them space to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was happy to give them space to do that. And then, um, yes, for them to be able to have time to run errands, I think they spent as much time at Target as they did uh, with me. So that's (laughs) me too. (laughs) Yay, Target. But that's one of the things that I have asked over time is, what is it that you need? And one of the things that they needed and wanted was a few days as a family. And so that's why they wanted to go to Waco to see some things Mm -hmm. and to be together Mm -hmm. as a family. The Boons are coming uh, in July. And one of the things they said was, hey, we can come spend three days with you, but we also need to spend a couple of days together to have a debrief as a family, as a family Mm -hmm. unit where we don't have any other things to do other than be together. So we're facilitating that. If they're just going to stay for a few extra days, and I rented the house that they're staying at for a few extra days so that they can have that time together uh, as a family. But not in Waco. Not in Waco. They'll be here. Um, so who are we talking to today? We're talking to my counterpart here at First United Methodist Church in Shreveport. We complement each other so well that we often are referred to as like fire and ice. Michelle can be really fiery and I can be the calm, you know, icy one or the fight or flight. She's the fight. I'm the flight. Mm -hmm. But she is our local missions director here at the church, Michelle Osborne. She came on uh, in this role right after I came on as the global missions person. And so together we've been able to reframe missions at First Methodist in Shreveport, and we've done it together. So often I think that we see local and global missions in competition with each other, and absolutely that is not what it's been like with us. We have worked in tandem together because we see so much of the importance of each other and our ministries. So it's been wonderful, and I can't wait for all the churches, all the church leaders to hear about what Michelle Osborne does here at the church because she is Mm -hmm. just fantastic. Well, I do want to give a disclaimer before we get into the interview. We joked at some point during the interview about corporate sponsorship. And when I said that Spotify was one of our corporate sponsors, I think maybe I said that or insinuated it. Um, it's not true. They're, they're not. If they want to be, that would be fine. We'll have our people talk to their people. You know, we mentioned Target a minute or two ago. If Target would like to be a corporate sponsor of ours, that would be just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have our people talk to their people. At this point, the Broken Banquet podcast has no corporate sponsors. However, we are open to the idea. So without further ado, here's Michelle Osborne. Yay, Michelle. 
Okay. Are we all still here? We're all still here. Great. Great. It doesn't say that you have any, uh, like you don't have a squiggly line under you. Well, I do on me. Okay. On well, mine, so we we'll just hope that that's. I see enough. a squiggly line. That's okay. all that matters. Yeah. How are you, Ashley? I'm great, Will. How? <laughs> I forgot to hit my do not disturb button. Hey, Ashley, would you turn your phone off so it doesn't <laughs> ring during the middle of our interviews, please? I'm in someone else's office. Let me do that to his, his too. Hold on. Thank you. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> Michelle's over here recording too. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the other side of the wall. She is being recorded for the Broken Banquet podcast. <gasps> That's cool. Oh, I know. Oh. Well, can't wait. Can Michelle get closer to her microphone? Yes. <laughs> would, would you eat your microphone, please? Yes. Okay. Just that like better? that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a lot better. Okay. Really good. Okay. I bought me some $18 headphones a minute ago at Target. Just Did for you really? our podcast? Wow. Well, local missions bought it. <laughs> that means it's cost you about what it's cost Ashley and I. <laughs> well, that's good. You don't need a lot of sponsors. That's right. That's right. We'll take them, though. I mean, anybody out there who's listening, we're not turning away sponsors. Oh, that would be so good for us to have sponsors. What if we just start telling people we have sponsors and we right. use a few of our favorite products? Yeah. And I, yeah, that might yeah. be kind of cool. Yeah. Damn. So actually, on my way to the office today, I was listening to music on Spotify, <laughs> one of our sponsors. <laughs> And, and actually, I looked at the screen and you know how they have like, I'm sure some sort of algorithm that they use to recommend music to you that they think right. you would like just because of your, the things that you choose to listen to. Mm -hmm. And it was a playlist called Relaxed Labor and Delivery. <laughs> so uh, based on the music i choose to listen to on a daily basis they have profiled me as someone who has similar tastes to a woman at the end of her pregnancy i'm just not sure i don't know what to do with that i've got an identity crisis oh it's that kind of day will good mm -hmm. luck Hey, Ashley, you want to tell everybody who we're interviewing today? Oh, right. We do have listeners, not just us, right? Well, today we have Michelle Osborne. Michelle Osborne is the local missions director at First United Methodist Church of Shreveport. She has also been to Costa Rica participating in our global missions ministry. She is all things to all people. She's the most well-known person in Shreveport because of all of her connections. And frankly, I love her. I love you too. That was quite the introduction, Ashley. <laughs> I paid her. <laughs> These are people I love. <laughs> but we really, we wanted to have Michelle on today because we've talked a lot about what does it look like to reframe missions at a local church? And that's something that you and I are very passionate about, Will, because we see that this table is broken. We see that the banquet table is broken and a way that we can seek you know, reconciliation, a way that we can seek um, transformation is through healthy partnerships and healthy relationships. And one of the things that Michelle does so well 
is partnership and relationship. And so I thought it would be good just to talk with Michelle about how she seeks to lead our church in this reframing of what missions looks like. Michelle, that was Ashley throwing the mic to you. <laughs> I'm a professional podcaster, as you can tell. Well, well let, me, let me ask you a real question. How did you <laughs> land? How did you end up at First United Methodist Church as the local missions director, Michelle? Well, thank you, Ashley. First of all, I am very excited to visit with y'all, and I've loved your podcast, and I'm excited to represent local missions, which are no different than global because we're all on the same globe and um, I love what I do. So I've been in this position for about eight years now. I was originally my, my other life. I was a English teacher. I taught senior English at Bird High School in Shreveport, go Jackets. And then when our first daughter was born, she was about a year old and I decided to stay at home with her. We decided that I would stay at home with her and um, was blessed to be a stay-at-home mom for 15 years and loved doing that. But there came a time where I was looking to go back to work and one of my best girlfriends worked here at the church, which was my church. And I had been to Costa Rica with Ashley and Will and, and I'll come back to that. But she called me and said, the local mission director position's open and I think you'd be great at it. I thought, wow, that really does sound exciting to me. I don't know that I'm equipped for that. But um, long story short, I interviewed and within about a week was full-time worker again as the local missions director and really didn't know what I was doing or I didn't think I did, but I loved the work and I, I loved connecting our church to our community. And one of our pastors kept saying the word calling to me. And if you know me, I don't talk church. Like I just don't use those churchy words. And that seemed foreign to me. Um, I thought that was something a pastor said, not, not just me. And I came to see over the next couple of years that I really was called to this position and that that wasn't um, a lack of humility to say that out loud, that in that time where I was a teacher and serving the students of our community, and I taught all kinds of kids, all different socioeconomic backgrounds, all different education levels. And then following that, as a stay-at-home mom, I spent a lot of time in my community, serving my community, serving our school system, working to provide truly equitable schools for all students. I really was learning how to do this job and making connections and relationships with people that would serve me well here. And so now, eight years later, I just I love what I do, and I'm so thankful to be able to connect our community and our church together. Well, let's talk about that because Pat Day, we I've said it before in, in my calling to come to this church, that Pat Day, our senior pastor, had this vision to have a partnership on every globe and to reframe local missions and global missions from transactional to transformational. Right. So what did that mean for you when you first walked in this door? Well, so that was already in place, really, I guess, a couple of years into that new vision. And so thankful for that. Dr. Day had an incredible vision for that. And you have to have people leading it to do it. It has to be very, very intentional. So that's kind of where my job and Ashley's job's our two jobs come in together. It was exactly what I wanted to see. I, I wanted us to stop doing the light cross work, passing out granola bars and things that didn't matter to anybody and really helping people live into who God created them to be. So moving into that um, transformational mission was exactly the vision I had. So I'm thankful it was already in place. There was a time where missions at our church looked like 
first of the month. We've got so much money. We're going to pay people's bills until the money runs out. And then people knew they could come back in a year. And all we were doing was really creating dependency. And that was not what we wanted to do. But we've really got an incredible community in Shreveport that has been buying into this vision as well, not just our church, other churches and other serving communities. And um, you just don't see a lot of that anymore. That transactional mission is is fading away. Should we go back and define transactional and transformational? I think that might be good for the listeners to hear. So when you hear the word transactional, Michelle, what do you think? Giving out stuff. Yeah. Just passing out stuff. And people need stuff. That's not that's not going to go away. We're always going to have hungry people. We're always going to have people who need clothing or even need help with their rent and utility. People are always going to be in crisis. When you have a community like ours that is um, steeped in poverty, those needs don't go away. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to do things that hold people in that dependency. So that's where you move into transformational. What are the things we can do that truly help people build their own lives the way they want to see them, the way they were created to be. Not necessarily the way I think it should be, but the way that they were created to be. And one thing that that takes is a lot of time and relationship and compassion. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All those things. Um, It's, it's not the, the easy way. It's definitely not the easy way. It takes a lot of time for sure. A lot of relationships. Another phrase that we sometimes say, and Ashley, you may remember who said this. I don't, we heard it at a conference one time they use the phrase connect not correct so we're not trying to fix people you know it's easy to look at someone and say well you need this or you need that or you should do this better but none of us really really respond well to that (laughs) Um, especially someone in crisis so we've we've moved away from looking at people and trying to figure out what their problems are and just being their friend and walking with them and and helping them build their own lives so one of the Michelle, one of the things that has come up several times is ways. What are ways that church members can feel connected to ministries or missionaries and, and their families around the world? Which there's obviously there's some challenges to that. Um, not every. Not all 5,000 members of your church are going to come to Costa Rica to get to know me and my family. So you have to be creative and think of other ways. What are the ways that on the local level, because it's it's also, it's really easy to just write a check and right. feel like you've done your part. Right. So what are, the, what are some of the things that you've done on a local level? to really try and physically get people to come to the same table. Absolutely. We've got a lot of poverty in our community. We've got a lot of crime in our community. And the people that we really need to be serving the most are often living in the middle of both of those things. And so it can be really intimidating to someone that's not used to that. I remember when I first started this job, someone asked me if I would do like a Sunday school lesson on how to speak to homeless people. And I thought, what an odd question. Just talk to them like you would talk to anybody. It just seemed so strange to me. But I'll talk to a brick wall. So I do have to kind of get outside (laughs) of myself on that and understand that everybody's not like me. Um, But that has been something we've done. I've literally given written dialogue of 
how to talk to the person who's asking you for money, how to talk to the person in front of Target that um, is asking you for food. What do you do? How do you direct them? And I've literally printed this in everything we've got saying, this is how you say this. (laughs) But bigger than that, we need people engaging with people that don't look, talk, live like they do. And Mm -hmm. it is really difficult. So one of the things I do is try to make people really comfortable in places they wouldn't necessarily be comfortable. Starting as young as our fourth and fifth graders, we take them for a week every summer. We do what we call mission week. We pull them out of Bible school and do mission week. So every morning we go to one of the serving agencies in our community and they teach the kids about how to serve in that community. So it might be Common Ground, which is in Cedar Grove, which is a neighborhood riddled with crime and people probably are scared of it if all they see is TV, if they just watch the news. But we teach those kids that you don't have to be scared. Most of the people in this neighborhood are really incredible and want to live in safe neighborhoods just like anybody else. But the bigger piece that comes out of that is the conversation that happens at home. So these kids go home all fired up about serving these communities and teach their parents. And every year the parents are coming to us just in awe of what their kids have learned and what their kids want to do that they didn't think they would be capable of doing. Um, Outside of that, we just try to continually educate our church membership on how they can serve, how they can jump in in ways that aren't transactional, that aren't just writing the check, even though sometimes the checks are really important. We want them out engaged with people. We try to make them comfortable with that. One of the things I started after COVID, I call it the tour of hope. I want people to see that Shreveport's not a terrible place just because we do have some problems, and we do. Um, We've got a lot of people working really, really hard to bring hope to people that that feel hopeless. And those are our partners. We work with almost 50 nonprofits in our community that all serve in different ways. We have very little crossover, very little duplication of service in those organizations. So after COVID, I wanted people to get back out, get engaged with our community, learn about ways to serve people. And so we started this little tour. We start here at the church. It takes an hour and a half just a drive-in tour. You don't even get out of the car. And I take them to all these places that I talk about nonstop mm-hmm. just to put the visual there that, oh, this is Hope Connections. They serve the homeless. Oh, this is Fuller. They build houses for people so that people can see all these places they hear about all the time. And every time we finish it, people can't believe that all of this is here in their city. They may have lived here for 60 years, and they've never seen these places. They've, they've never seen some of these neighborhoods. But just making them feel comfortable to get out of their own comfort zone, to get into places that don't look like their own neighborhoods, and to find an opportunity to meet people that maybe don't look or sound or live like they do. Mm-hmm. So if, if that's a way that you found that's an effective way to get your church members to feel more comfortable engaging and getting out of their comfort zones. Are there ways that you found that are also effective as far as getting the people from the communities that you're in ministry in comfortable to come to the church and, and to participate in activities that are going on there at the church? Because I think it's, 
that's hard. You know, it I is. think it's it's easy to for someone who has means to say, yeah, I, I get it. I'll I'll spend a Saturday, you know, in that neighborhood uh, working with Fuller Center for Housing or you know whatever it is. That's hard enough, but the getting someone from that neighborhood to also feel comfortable and welcome to come into your church, how do you how do you get around that yeah. challenge? That's really tricky. Mm-hmm. It really is. We um, are a downtown church. We sit at the edge of one of our most impoverished neighborhoods, and it's one of the neighborhoods we serve the most in. But there is a struggle to get people into our church that actually live in this neighborhood. We're, we are really an oddity. We're a downtown church that thrives, but our membership doesn't live anywhere near where we live, where we sit. Um, So it is a problem. It can be intimidating for someone just walking off the street or who feels like they don't have the right clothes. And we constantly speak that to people, but it doesn't change the fact that, that we are, just not really matching the neighborhood that we sit in. So it is a struggle. We've got an incredible pastor here in charge of discipleship, and we've got a new pastor leading our FaithLink Contemporary Service, and both of them have a real heart for making our church look more like our neighborhood. So I hope that's something that we're going to move toward more in the future. Um, You know, if I'm honest, it's not something I've been super successful at. Mm -hmm. Um, We've brought in other groups. We always welcome other groups to use our facilities. We have lots of groups that are not our church members, whether it's a nonprofit or another or or just even other churches come and use our facilities from this neighborhood or others. But it doesn't always translate into becoming new members of our church Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. being repeat visitors of our church. Mm-hmm. So it is a huge challenge. It is. We're, we're a very segregated community still. And understand, I'm, I didn't mean that question as a critique of, of how you all approach local missions. To me, it's a critique of church in general. Absolutely. No, um, I don't, I don't see it yeah. as anything like a critique, but it's, it's just the fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think we're so unusual in that. Um, it's, it's not an easy easy barrier to cross, but, but we would love for it to change. We've actually got some brand new housing right by our church. Um, gosh, probably 10 or 15 years ago, there was maybe longer than that. There was a huge gang problem in Shreveport and it was seated right behind our church. And so our city government made a big concerted effort to eradicate all of the, the, houses that were dilapidated eradicate all blight so we have i'm sitting here looking out the window right now at just empty lot after empty lot after empty lot so we've had a population decline in this downtown area but we are a part of the federal program called choice neighborhoods and with that they are building brand new housing income-based housing right next to our church i don't even know i think it's probably like or 500 apartments. It's a lot of apartments. It's a lot. So we've got a really incredible opportunity to reach out to these people and welcome them into our community. Well, it reminds me of uh, in the interview we did with Hunter Farrell, who wrote Freeing Congregational Mission. One of the things that he talked about is, and, and he may not have said it exactly like this, but you know, in a lot of ways, local missions is way harder than 
foreign missions because of that part. The, the fact that it's in your backyard and what that demands of the people who are participating in it, it's just a lot different than I think what is asked of people to sign up for a mission trip, to go somewhere for right. a week or 10 days and engage in relationships in a place that is so far away from home it's maybe harder because of cultural differences and language differences, but those are sort of technicalities. And there's some pretty easy ways to remedy those challenges. But the challenges to effective local mission aren't technicalities. They are cultural and societal and just deep-seated historical issues. And to try and tackle that stuff... You know, you can't just get a Spanish speaker to, or someone who's bilingual to come in and make that easier for you. No, you're right. Those stereotypes are just there. We've been here for almost 175 years as a pretty affluent white church, and it's hard to change the look of that. That's not what this neighborhood mm. looks like. So we need to be more connected to, to the things of that community and, and understanding why don't our neighbors want to come into church here and, and be very, very intentional about inviting them in. And I would say to you, I, I want to say probably about five things, but, but here they'll, they'll come <laughs> off my, off the top of my head. But, but the, the new Hispanic ministry that has started meeting at our church, yeah. it started meeting two years ago. And I would say that just now, because of the time and the effort that it's taken to be intentional, do they feel comfortable not just coming to their own services, but now they'll come to family events and bring their families. Now they'll come to other events and they'll bring their families. But it's taken two years of intentionality and working at that relationship to make everyone feel comfortable in being together. Because I think that so often we do stereotype each other and and we just want to be with the people that look like a, us and act like us. And so it's taken very, very intentional relationship building to make these things happen, to make the connections happen. And that's what I'll go back and saying uh, to say about uh, Michelle is that when we're talking about reframing missions, when we're talking about complete 180 of a missions mindset of what that looks like for our church, Michelle's been standing in the gap standing in the gap between all of the partners in our community, all of our serving ministries in our community, um, the people of our community, and then the people of our church. So she's that person in the gap. And she's done this phenomenal job of speaking to the needs of each of those. So whatever Sunday school class, whatever UMW circle, whatever those little groups are of being very intentional and educating them, whether it's through a tour of hope, whether it's through a Sunday school lesson, whether it's through a, this is what the ministry of presence looks like, whatever means it is. And it's changed over these eight to 10 years um, of, of this is what we want you to learn so that you can live into who God created you to be and so that you can see the Christ in others and uh, and how God connects us. So I love the way Michelle leads with her heart, leads with who she is, and is able to stand in that gap to bridge everyone together. 
Thank you, Ashley. So I want to shift just a little bit because up to this point, we may be giving people the impression that you two are, are friends and that you really get along really well and like each other. <laughs> but I know the fact of the matter is that you are enemies fighting tooth and nail for church resources so that your program is the one that does the best. And so I would love it if you guys would share a little bit about what that that war dynamic at the church between foreign missions and local missions is like. Well, Ashley and I joke because I'm the fight and she's the flight. So, Fire and ice. So if that was the case, I would have beat her down a long time ago. So no, we we are great friends. And I don't think we've ever even considered that we compete with each yeah. other. It doesn't even enter my mind. I constantly promote the work she does globally and she constantly promotes the work here locally. I just, I really don't even see a difference in, in that. We, we both share each other's mission mm -hmm. and we, we both um, encourage each other. I'm so grateful for Ashley. She was already the global missions pastor. She is a pastor at our church. One of the first times I actually spent a lot of time with Ashley was in Costa Rica with with you, Will, and your people. And um, it was shortly after that that I came into this position. So again, God just equipping me for what I needed to do and to have an appreciation for what Ashley does and, and to have a better understanding of that. And, you know, Will and Ashley, y'all speak the same language. I remember, Will, when we were there, you kept saying, it's not about the work, it's about the people. And, you know, if I would always rather you be with people than do the work. That's not exactly how you said it, but, <laughs> but something to that Close effect enough. that uh, it's, yeah, it's more important to, to take care of each other and to learn about each other than it is to get the task done. And I'm a pretty bad Martha. So <laughs> I have to be reminded of that. I like, I like checking boxes. So I have to remind myself of that sometimes too. But I mean, really we just, we haven't had that problem. Ashley certainly has benefactors that have bought more into global. I certainly have people that I know will always jump into local. One of the things that I do a lot is disaster relief. Sitting here in Louisiana, we have a lot of hurricanes, a lot of tornadoes. I put out the word every time that we're collecting funds, we're needing workers to go out and do disaster relief. I pretty much know who those people are going to be every time. There's always some new people, but but Ashley's the same. Whenever there's a disaster in Haiti or the Ukraine, wherever it is, um, she's got her people that'll jump in there. So everybody's got a passion to help. It may not always be the same, but we we just don't compete with each other. And our church doesn't either. I mean, our church budget reflects both of our our work the same too. So one of the most exciting things that I've been able to be a part of in the life of this ministry is taking mission teams from Costa Rica to the United States on mission trips so that they can yes. also serve and give and all that kind of stuff. And we got to do that at your church a few years ago. And, and it's just this wonderful intersection between foreign missions and local missions. And I was wondering if maybe you guys could both share a little bit about what having us come into your church, what that meant to to you two as the heads of those two programs. Man, that was it great. It was great. <laughs> and, and it was so interesting because I think 
at one point you called it a reverse mission trip. And I think that one of us, some of us over time quickly caught ourselves because it's not a reverse mission trip. It's a, we're living into our calling. So I never called it that. Somebody <laughs> else insisted on calling it that from a, one of our partner churches. And I cringed every time they said it. It's like, we're not doing missions backwards. Right. It's That's just right. a mission trip. Sorry, That's go ahead. Right. No, you're exactly right. And, it, but, well, I want to speak to that because it's not a reverse mission trip. It's not the servees coming to serve the servers. We're all called. The Great Commission is for everyone, whether you live in Haiti, whether you live in Costa Rica, whether you live in Russia, whether you live in Cedar Grove, whether you live in Allendale, everyone is called to the Great Commission. What it looks like may be different for everyone, but everyone is called to go and make disciples to serve everywhere. You each have a Judea, a Jerusalem, a Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Everyone is called. So I loved that the team from Costa Rica came to uh, serve in our community for number one, because not everybody at our church is ever going to go to Costa Rica. And so they got to meet people we love. These are par our partners in ministry and they got to meet more of our global family. So that was a number one thing. Like how many houses do we go eat at that week? That was, it was huge. There was a lot of <laughs> banquet tables that we got to all come around and be around. And that was, and we have good yeah. food. So I loved that part of it. I, and I love just being able to intentionally spend time together. And I think it was for our church to see that others were coming and serving in our, in our church, that, that local and global missions were really not just local missions and global missions, but we were missions. It, it was such a great week. Ashley does a great job of getting the faces of our global partners in front of our church. So I do think our really active church membership feels like they know all of our global partners, even if they've never seen them in person. Um, they know your family's names. They know the work you do. And, you know, you're just highlighted in every publication we have or in Ashley speaks about you all the time. Your faces are all over our church. So I do think people think they know you. So for your crew to come here was just such a fun time, but also a blessing I think one of the main um, things y'all did was work with Fuller Center for Housing, building a house over in Bossier, just across the river from us. And number one, you've got incredible talents. So for your team to come and do that work was such a blessing for our partner, Fuller. We're, we were just so thankful that y'all could be there. But we also took a lot of your team members around to meet some of our other partners here whose work is not so dissimilar. It's just got a different name in a different city. <laughs> I'll add one more thing is that we were at a Fuller Center for Housing dedication not too long ago. Michelle and I were. And the foreman on the project said, hey, when are you going to have that Costa Rican crew come back? I need their help. <laughs> I said, well, that's yes. a great idea. But that's how yes. many years later that he remembered this crew that came. And um, uh, so how thankful. wonderful. So You so know, my thankful. favorite thing about those trips is inevitably while we're we're there someone either a church member or just someone from the community that we bump into will be like now who who are you again where are you all from and so we'll tell them we're from costa rica and what are you doing here well we're, we're on a mission trip wait you're on a mission trip here like <laughs> it's just so unthinkable to people that 
First of all, it makes people realize that, there, yes, there are needs in your community. But then, you know, of course, beyond that, it's and and Costa Ricans have been called to be Christ's witnesses to the ends of the earth, just like you have. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus wasn't just talking to the gringos when he said that. <laughs> but I think it's interesting how often people are are surprised by the fact that we would come into their com- like we see your community as the mission field, just like North Americans are used to seeing the whole rest of the world as the mission field. And I can remember actually being in an event here uh, where a lot of church leaders were gathered uh, several years ago, and they were talking about how a lot of people at this point consider the United States of America as the largest most difficult mission field on the planet right now, which is just shocking for people, mm-hmm. uh, especially people from the Southeast, maybe. Go ahead, Ashley. Come back. Go, Ashley, it's always open. Go, Ashley. Go, go, go. I was just thinking, in previous episodes, we've talked a lot about like my relationship with the missionaries and what that partnership looks like and how I just consider all of them family. Uh, so how would you describe your relationship with our local missions partners here in Shreveport? Friends, for for sure, the good friends. It's no different than what Will's talking about. There's, it's it's give and take both ways. We truly have relationships where we can call on each other for all kinds of things. So it's not just us giving money or us giving volunteers to those organizations. They do the same in return. For instance, because of the nature of our church and where we sit downtown, we have a prominent face and. We just have a reputation that draws people to search out our church when they're in need. So one of the bigger part of my jobs is handling people that come in our front door or that call in searching for assistance. So like I said, we're not looking to do transactional missions, but crisis is real. So I can call on any one of our partners and help connect them. This morning I had a mom call in. She has six kids. Her electricity's shut off. She has no idea what to do. She has, her bill was like $2,200. It was just off the charts. But we already have partners in place to work through all these things. It's not a simple issue. It's not a simple issue of just paying the bills. Um, She's got kids sitting in that house without electricity. So I called on our partners. I called on the school board. The McKinney-Vento Homeless Program um, helps people not only that are homeless that have school-aged children, but it helps people prevent homelessness. So I called on them. I called on Catholic Charities, which we partner with to be our resource for rent and utility assistance. We just automatically have all these people that we can call Mm -hmm. on, and we do it regularly. So thankful for that. When you first started talking, Ashley, I thought about when we moved into COVID times, into the pandemic, how quickly we shifted what we did. And it's because we already have those partners Mm -hmm. in place, and they know they can call on us. Um, We know that we can call on them. So immediately, we started putting out the word about how we were going to help our community through this. I started worrying immediately about the safety nets for our children that were going to be cut off through our school system for food, for issues of abuse, all of these things that we encounter quite a lot in missions. And so we, we just kept on cruising, um, just, just really um, resourcing whatever our partners needed. They 
were able to connect through us, especially for volunteers. People had a lot more time on their hands and people that weren't worried about getting out and, and exposing themselves came out in numbers I've never seen yeah. before. I, some, some part of me wishes for that again because people had the time to give back to their mm -hmm. community. So that was incredible. I'm just so thankful for our partners. We've we've got incredible serving community here in Shreveport and um, we, we couldn't serve people the way we do without mm -hmm. them. We don't try to reinvent the wheel mm -hmm. ever. We, people will call in and they want to know what program do we offer? You know, like, but what do you give us? Like they want us to have a clothes closet or they want us to have a food pantry. Well, we don't need to do that because there's somebody else that's already an expert mm -hmm. at that. Um, so we will connect them to all of those resources that are available in our community that we already partner with. And I think what I appreciate too is that we have tried to incorporate our partners into the life of the church. So whether it's our local or global ones, Will has been here to speak at our Breakfast of Blessings. Cassie's spoken at our Breakfast of Blessings. Sharpell and Verney uh, spoke at our mm -hmm. women's retreat. They were the right. leaders for that. And Stefania and Yolanda were leaders of our women's retreat a couple of years ago. And so whatever big events that we have going on, how we can incorporate the people that we love and call family, whether it's in our community or around the world, how they also can come and be a part of our faith family. Yes, mm -hmm. definitely so. Definitely so. And like our, our church has a monthly publication. Ashley and I both do the same thing. It's very rare that we actually write the article for that because people hear our voice all the time. <laughs> um, so we try to have that be the voice of our partners. So on her pages for Global Missions, it's usually a letter or an update from one of our global partners. And on my pages for local missions, I always ask one of our local partners to just write about what your mission is, use it as a, a call to action. What, what can people do to help you? What can people do to further your mission? Um, and that's another great tool we use to, to get the word out. Yeah, Will, I don't think you've done that in a while. So um, could you get on that? I think the deadline's next week. <laughs> sure. <laughs> See his fingers moving. <laughs> I would be happy to do that, Ashley. Sure. Michelle, can I get you to clarify something? It's come. We've mentioned it several times, and there may just there may yeah. be some people who aren't familiar with it. But Fuller, the connection between Fuller and Habitat. I think everybody's heard of Habitat for Humanity, and so just to give people right. some context for what Fuller Center for Housing is. Sure. So it's kind of an offshoot. Millard Fuller. Um, was the founder and he used to be with Habitat for Humanity and he kind of branched off and did his own thing. Fuller came to Shreveport out of Hurricane Katrina. When we had Hurricane Katrina in, we're in, for those that don't know, we're in Northwest Louisiana and um, Katrina hit the Gulf Coast. So it's about a five hour drive from here basically. And we in hurricane situations are one of the big stops for evacuees. So we have a mega shelter here that can hold thousands of people. And that wasn't so much a thing back then. That's come out of Hurricane Katrina. We've learned a lot through Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people came from the Gulf Coast here in that storm and never left. And we had a huge housing crisis. We did not have enough housing for the people that came because we aren't talking about people that could build their own homes, you know, and reestablish themselves. So um, Millard Fuller came here and established the Northwest Louisiana Fuller Center for Housing to build homes for people 
that were evacuees. The first homes that were built were for those people. And then since it's it's grown into a, a big organization, I think they've built maybe 70 homes so far. Mm-hmm. So very, very thankful for them. Thank you. And going back to your question, Will, about what do you, our local mission partners bring to the table? I keep thinking about mm-hmm. this. And the selflessness, like when I'm thinking of Vernie Howard, I think of her, the humility that she has, the selflessness that she's has. She gave up this amazing career to come and work uh, in the nonprofit sector. I think of Matt and Vicki Whitehead and the compassion and the love that they exude just by being who they are. And they love so well. They listen and they love and they see everyone as an equal and as their child. And, and I hope that those are some of the qualities that are sitting around our banquet table for us to learn from each other, because those are, those are people and those are qualities that all of us need to know. Right. Right. And all of these are real people with real lives of their own and, and things going on at their own homes. Um, I think about precious joy Porter who works at the hope house that serves homeless people. It's kind of a simplified, it's a day shelter for, um, for homeless people. And her husband just had a, um, liver transplant and she's been dealing with that while she's serving some of our neediest people in our community and just never, her name is Joy, and she never lost her joy. Like, you just could see it on her all the time. She's so amazing. And throughout that, she was sending her little daily text she sends to me, which always start with some affirmation of how much she loves me and what I bring to her life. I mean, who does that? That's just incredible. Um, Vernie, like you mentioned, she too serves a homeless population. She runs Providence House, which is a um, homeless shelter, it, again, very simplified. It's a homeless shelter for families. And she offers an opportunity for these families to live there and completely rebuild their lives. And and she has just truly transformed more lives than, than I can even imagine. So living into what we're talking about, not just being transactional, to truly transform lives and help people um, move out of dependency. Mm-hmm. So if this were a call-in show and somebody called in, well, this is all great, fine and good, Michelle, uh, but here I am at a small local church and we really want to be involved with our community. So where do we even start? Well, and we are kind of spoiled here. We really are. We have incredible resources and I, I recognize that not all churches do that, but you know, We work with a lot of small churches. Um, Just around the corner, we have a historical Episcopal church. It's it's tiny but mighty. (laughs) And um, I hear from their church secretary all the time because she doesn't have the time and resources that I have to deal with this because this is my full-time job. So we hear with them and we partner with them and, and, you know, just find one thing that your church can do. You don't have to partner with 40, 50 different organizations, pick one, pick one that is a great fit for your church and support them well. I think that that would be incredible. Most churches, matter of fact, I don't know any churches that have the position I have. Usually the mission component is given to a pastor or someone as a a secondary job. It's not necessarily their primary, primary job. So we're really fortunate at our church to have like you had talked about earlier, Dr. Day's vision of building this program the way we have it. But 
a small church just needs to find a focus. Don't don't try to do everything. Just find one thing that that your church would be engaged in and support it well. That would be incredible. I really wholeheartedly believe that moving from that transactional giving of just giving stuff into a place of helping people better their actual lives has has made all the mm-hmm. difference. Uh, I think partnering with a, a group, even if if your church is giving stuff, which we do. I mean, of course we do. We do gather school supplies and that all and food or whatever it is. But that comes from a need from one of our partners. Right. It always is connected to a partner and a need that they have expressed to us. So find a partner to work through those things and it, it'll truly transform the way your church does missions. Well, I tell you, one of the things that I appreciate about being one of your partners is sometimes we'll have a group come and work with us and I'll ask them if it's a group that's here for the first time, you know, tell me about the the local missions that your church does. And sometimes they just stare at me. I just think, wow, <laughs> if if this is all of your church's vision for what it means to be Christ's witnesses in the world, that's just not healthy. So uh, right. I'm thankful that you all have found a way to balance both and and to give so much priority and support to both and find ways where both overlap and and how important it is that the things that are important to Ashley about these global mission relationships are the same things that are important to Michelle about the local partnerships. Mm -hmm. Because if that Mm -hmm. wasn't the case, then you do easily fall into this sort of battle between our vision for local stuff and your vision for international stuff or whatever. And so the fact that you all speak the same language that when Ashley preaches or talks or writes about these relationships, and then Michelle preaches or teaches or talks or writes about the local stuff. If people are hearing you all using the same languages and talking about the same priorities and that kind of stuff, it just makes it so much stronger. And Mm -hmm. I uh, I think Mm -hmm. you guys have found a wonderful balance and we're just blessed to be a part of it. Very thankful. I was speaking to one of our women's groups the other day and I said something and she said, that's what Ashley said. That's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) So speaking with one voice. Wait, wait, stop. Was it something good that Ashley (laughs) said or was she, was was she saying, oh gosh, here we go again. That's what Ashley said. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think it was a little different inflection okay, than okay. that. Just want to make sure. <laughs> uh, well, Michelle, I look forward to your book because I think that you probably have some of the best stories in the world of encounters that no one else would believe. I'm not going to ask you to talk about any of those, but I will ask you the question of what do you wish we had asked you? Oh, gosh. Um, hmm, what do I wish you had asked me? Gosh, I can't even think of anything. I just love both of you so much. And I'm so thankful for um, just the witness that you are to me. Because before I was in this position, I did serve with both of you um, there in Costa Rica. And again, unknowing 
that this was going to be even an opportunity for me, I was picking up on so many important things. I remember sitting in church in Costa Rica and picking up every fifth word from my, you know, seventh grade Spanish class. (laughs) That was about the extent of my um, Spanish, but really being struck. And this is almost embarrassing to say, really being struck for the first time, how we truly all do serve and worship the same God. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that seems so elementary for a mother that was there with her family to say, but it was so overwhelming to me to feel the Holy Spirit the same way there that I do Mm -hmm. here. I I don't know, maybe that's silly, but um, I'm just so thankful that we can make those connections and, and be friends with people that, that we may never even see in person. You know, I, I've been fortunate that I have met most of our missionary partners, but most of our church members won't. But I think that they truly consider them friends and family. And we're so blessed for that. And the same thing here. I mean, we may not meet all the people that we're serving through our local missions, but we love them and care for them. And I'm just so grateful for it. So, so grateful. I don't think feeling that is silly at all. And I'm thankful that you, that was part of your experience here. It was great. It was great. The freedom of worship Mm. there was just really really striking to me. It was wonderful. I need to come back. Yes, you do. <laughs> Agreed. Well, Ashley, you, you've knocked it out of the park again. You find the best guests for this podcast. <laughs> Gosh. Well, thank, thank you for letting me come on and represent the local folks. I appreciate it. I've loved listening to your podcast. They've been really incredible, really incredible. I'm glad y'all are doing this. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, Michelle, thank you so much. I know we've taken up a lot of your time and we really appreciate it and appreciate your honesty and uh, except for when you were talking about how much you like Ashley, but uh, thank you. for Come on. <laughs> no, it's been wonderful to have you and we know folks are going to enjoy hearing from you. Oh, thank y'all. Thank y'all so much. This has been fun. I was very intimidated, oh my gosh. but this has been very easy and fun. So if they ask you own people, do it. <laughs> What she means is we're looking for people to interview. Anyone who wants to be on this podcast, send us an email and we'll interview you. (laughs) All right. Well, Ashley, it was great to see you. You as well, Will. And Michelle, we love you. Thank you. I love y'all. I love y'all. Tell your sweet family hello, Will. I will. Thank you. See you guys. Bye, Will. Bye, Ashley. You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast.